You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Shavua Tov and uh, welcome everybody to 101.5 FM and we are going to be learning Torah today. And we have started, I think it was last week, we were going, no, we actually edged into chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. We had completed the seven days of creation going through Oh, through the, the six days and all the things that God put into place. And of course, we spent, um, ex- extensive time, extensive time talking about the holy day of Shabbat, of, uh, of the Sabbath. And there was one thing before we continue that I just wanted to, to add that I unfortunately didn't have enough time for, um, that actually had it to be, had to be added on to our discussion about Shabbat. And that is one of the interesting things that we do. One of the customs that we have on Shabbat is that we eat three meals. Um, we have the Friday night meal where we, when I'm saying we eat, um, eating according to halacha must constitute the fact that a person washes and eats for bread and says berkat, berkat amazon. So we eat on Friday night. We eat Shabbat day. And then towards dusk, towards Mincha time, towards just before the sun is setting on Saturday afternoon, Shabbat afternoon, we eat a third meal called loosely Shalashudas, which is really Shalash, Shalosh Seudot, the three meals, the third meal. Um, and there is actually a very interesting idea as to why we do it. And it is connected to the fact that when we read about Shabbat, you will see that there are three times that the expression, the seventh day, Yom Hashvi'i, is mentioned. We've got um, the verse, and God finished, Vayishbot, by Yom Hashvi'i, and he finished on the seventh day. Then we've got Vayanach, by Yom Hashvi'i, and then he rested on the seventh day. And then we've got Hashem blessed at Yom Hashvi'i, Yom Hashvi'i, he he blessed the seventh day. So we know that in Torah, we don't waste time with superfluous words or, you know, extra descriptions. We don't have to go floral about things. We know that everything is very precise and, 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 and correct. And so the rabbis come to teach us that the fact that Yom Hashavi'i, the seventh day, is mentioned three times, this is to teach us that one um, is obligated to eat three times um, on Shabbat. Now, that's notwithstanding that most of us don't need a commandment to eat three times on any day. We could probably eat all day, every day. But yeah, as I explained, um, this is talking about having three proper meals in terms of washing for bread. Um, so saying, that's the blessing for the hands. When you bless the bread and then benching afterwards, that means saying, saying the grace after meals. And um, we're actually told by our rabbis that we should be careful not to eat too much, particularly on the meal, uh, at the meal on the Shabbat, um, more a lunchtime meal, so that we have, um, we have the ability to eat again. At the third meal, there is a lot of mysticism connected to this, but I just wanted to add that in because many people ask, where does that custom come from? And I felt it important that I should share it with you. Having said that, now we are going to go on to verse four 
of chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3 spoke about the Shabbat. We're now going to look at verse 4 and perhaps verse 5. You can see that we are going um, at a snail's pace simply because there's just so much packed into each and every single one of these uh, these verses. What happens now is that we actually take a step back again. We went, ve- in a sense, pretty quickly through the process of creation, culminating in the Shabbat, um, got a tremendous amount out of it, but the Torah now goes back and revisits the creation of the world and brings brings alive certain aspects, particularly um, the creation of man and the whole story of the Garden of Eden. Remember, that was included on the sixth day. Man was created in the morning. By lunchtime, he stood up and he was brought into the Garden of Eden. The whole story of the Garden of Eden happened within the first three hours. He received his punishment, was supposed to be banished. God said, okay, I'm not only going to banish you on what's a Shabbat. You can spend the first Shabbat. Um, in the garden, but we didn't really get too much of what happened with the story, the, 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 the meat, so to speak, the flesh behind what happened in the garden of Eden. So what happens now is that the Torah takes a step back and kind of like gives a praise and then goes back in time, particularly into the sixth day. So if you do have a Chumash, if you have the five books of Moses open up in front of you, if you're following in, we're looking at chapter two. Verse 4, which reads as follows. Ele toldot hashemaim vehaaretz behi baram beyom asot hashem elokim eretz vashemaim. These are the chronicles of heaven and earth when they were created on the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Quite a, um, a mystical type of sentence doesn't really say much, kind of pretty flowery, F-L-O-W-E-R-Y, flowery, um, in that there's a lot of expression there, but nothing much is said. Let's listen to it again in English. These are the chronicles of heaven and earth when they were created on the day that the Lord God, God's making of earth and heaven. So the rabbis look in to the, this verse and obviously learn a tremendous amount of mystical stuff about it. The first thing is, is that in Torah, one of the things that we have, when if one looks into an authentic Torah scroll, one will see that there are no capital letters at the beginning of sentences, nor are there full stops at the end of sentences, nor is it that any, um, one can write a Torah scholar in what, a Torah, Torah scroll, apologies, um, in any type of font that they wish. The font is basically standard. There are two or three different menhagim as to how the fonts look, but overall they are standard, and there is no capital letters. There is no full stops, and all the letters are of an even size. In fact, at one point in time, we, were also, uh, we also learned that there were no paragraphs um, to it, that did develop a little bit later. So when you do look into a Torah scroll, you will see paragraphs, but certainly no other punctuation at all. Now, interestingly, in this verse, so we're a chapter into the book of Bereshit, in this chapter, the fifth word 
These are the chronicles of heaven and earth When they were created If you look at the word You will see that the hey Is actually written smaller Than the size of the font Of all the other letters And the the, the the rule is that if you do see a letter that is smaller than the general font of the letters written or there is the exceptions where you will see a letter made much bigger than the general font, then it's here to teach us something interesting. So the word behibaram, the hey, the huh, um, the second letter of the word behibaram, what is that coming to teach us and what is it that we can learn for it from it and why do you think can would the rabbis actually actually uh, tell us about it well let's see what you guys have to say you're able to telegram us on 0618951019 or you can sms us on 34519 you're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and we're delving into the secret mystical texts of the process of creation, the story of creation. We're in chapter 2, verse 4, and just before the break, we asked the question, what does the little hey, the little letter, the, 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 the diminutive letter hey, um, come to tell us in the word behibaram, which um, is translated as when they were created? Well, a lot of stuff is actually taught, and in fact, what I'm going to teach you is probably just scratching the, the surface. But uh, the rabbis come and teach us a few things. The first thing is that the somewhat smaller hay is an allusion to the fact that the physical world was created with the letter hay. Let's um, understand that a little bit more. What does it mean that the physical world was created with the letter hay? Well, firstly, for anybody who knows um, – the shape of the letter hey, it has an, a, a top horizontal line that curves on the right-hand side down, okay? And then it has a little leg um, underneath that top vertical line, um, and that, that, that makes up the letter hey. So the rabbis teach us that there's a small opening on top, meaning um, between the vertical uh, top line and that small uh, – uh, sorry – let me say that again. Between the horizontal top line and the vertical small line on the left-hand side, there's a small top there. And then there is an opening at the bottom. And this, this teaches us that this is the precarious nature of the world because in order to survive in this world, one can either go up or one can go down. Now, unfortunately, the opening at the bottom alludes to the opening through which the wicked so to speak, fall into what the rabbis call purgatory. It's a place of darkness beneath the universe, devoid of any source um, of light. Um, and in order, and that's kind of like a metaphor to teach us that life is very difficult. And if we don't have our wits be, uh, uh, with us, and if we don't take life seriously, ask why we why are we here, what mission do we have um, on 
on this planet? What are we doing here? Is there a purpose? If not, what will happen is that we will be sucked into the materialism of the world. And once we just get sucked in um, into thinking that it's just all about the better car, the better pair of shoes, the better holiday, the better house, the better, I don't know how much money in the bank, whatever you think that is better, you get sucked down into the materialism of this world. And it's, 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 it's empty. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a spiral downwards. If you are focused, however, you will know that life is tough. Yes. And life is, is difficult, but you can crawl and, and get to somewhere much higher. And that's why the opening on the left hand side at the top is much smaller, but it is there. So that is why, um, it says th- this is the chronicles of heaven and earth when they were created. This Behibaram is coming to tell, tell us that the world was created with the letter Hey. The letter Hey is coming to teach us is that we have a choice either to climb up against all odds. Um, life is not a picnic, but it is something worth the struggle and, you know, um, climb up and see something far greater or otherwise get sucked down. If you look even more closely at the letter Hey, um, you will see um, in a written scroll, in a parchment that is written by a scribe, by a sofer, you will see that the letter Hey has a small crown on it. Like just at the top of that horizontal line on the left-hand side, there's two or three little tiny lines that represent a crown. And the rabbis come and teach us that, that this tells us, or rather it tells the sinner not to think that he has no remedy for committing wrongdoings. If you've just learned about that and you go, yes, you're right. My life is just one vortex down. And how is it that I am going to be able to get out of it? This comes to teach us or make us, makes us come to realize that when we sincerely repent for everything we've done, it's very precious um, in God's eye, and that crown on the hay um, alludes to the crown that God will give to the penitent, to the one who returns back to him. So that is the letter hay in terms of its structure. One of the other interesting things about the letter hay is that when you pronounce it, it's not very difficult to, it's not a lot of effort, hay. It doesn't, it just, it's, it's breath. Hey. It, it doesn't take a lot of effort, effort to pronounce it. There's no movement of the tongue. And this is to come and teach us that God, in fact, created the entire universe, um, just by pronouncing this letter, meaning that this entire universe was created, um, through the, the effortless breath. Of God, and we spoke about it earlier that God breathed into this world through the manner of speech, the life force that sustains everything that is out there, um, and this again is representative of the letter Hey. So here you've got one tiny diminished, out of context, so to speak, out of a font size little Hey. Look how much. We've actually learned about it. Quite fascinating. This is one of the things that actually fascinates me about the learning of Torah, that one can take something so small, seemingly, but not so insignificant, and learn such significance from it, such importance from it. We haven't stopped yet, though. The word behibaram, meaning when they were created, is actually 
an allusion to the fact that the world was created for the sake of Abraham. Because if you take the letters of the word Behi Baram, shift them around a little bit, rearrange them, they actually spell Be-Avraham, meaning through Avraham. Now, why would the world have been created for Avraham? Well, we know Abraham, our forefather, and interestingly, the forefather of all nations, um, because he too fathered the the Arab world. Um, as we know, it, he, he had a son called Yishmael. He also was the grandfather of Esau, which is the Western world. So Abraham was very much a significant figure. He was one who was born in a, in a time where the idol worship was the mainstay of society. It was the religion of society. Nobody thought too much more about anything else. And by his own thought processes, by his own inquiry, by his own introspection, by his own questioning, he came to understand that there is only one Force in this world, one God in this world that created the entire world, that sustains the whole world, and nothing but God um, is worthy of connection, of prayer, of, 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 of connectivity to it. And he brought monotheistic religion to the world. So, Ele Toldot Hashamayim Vehaaretz Behiba Aram, these are the chronicles of heaven and earth. They were made for the sake of Abraham, because Abraham comes to bring the truth, the, the, the truth about God and why this world was created in the first place. But the concept actually goes deeper than that, insofar far as what was the most outstanding quality of Abraham, well, everybody knew he always did kind deeds, and he always desired to do good for, good for others, and we know that he was known as the Baal Chesed, the man of kindness. He, he put a tent out in the desert. Um, it was open on all four sides, and he was a man that, that served society, that fed people, that, that gave people to drink, gave people places to rest, and taught people um, the idea and the concept of God and a monothe- monotheistic religion. And so this small hay, Behi Bar-Am, comes to teach us that just like the world was created effortlessly through God, but it was created because of a person called Abraham, it alludes to the fact that what we have to do in this world um, is that we 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 too need to show kindness and good good deeds and exhibit that to towards each other because the world is sustained on goodness how many times when we see a good feel story something that makes us proud to be human it makes us motivated that you know humanity is really worth something it's when one extends a kindness a generosity, a good deed towards another and shows a selflessness that is so very lacking generally um, in this world. And uh, we know we've, I've discussed it with, with, with Howard uh, Feldman on the morning mayhem, the whole concept and why everybody got so taken by the story of the Thai cave and and the boys that were captured in there. Um, it This was a feel-good story because here you saw 
humanity, irrespective of religion, irrespective of race, irrespective of the color of their skin, irrespective of all, all the things that divide us. The world came together and they came for the good of humanity. They came to save the precious lives of 13 people against all odds um, and, and in threat of their lives. But this was an act of kindness, an act of goodness, an act of, 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 of being human, being godlike in extending in, a, in, in the most incredible way outwards. And so the Torah comes to teach us this is why the world was created, that a human being comes into this world and the Baal Shem Tov tells us that one can, can come into this world and live for 70, 80 years just to perform a good deed. For another, you can have an entire life because the world is waiting for you to do a good deed from one person to the other. So this is a very, very powerful lesson and um, and a very important fundamental lesson that we should take into our lives on a daily basis. Now, another interesting idea over here is that If one looks throughout chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, you will see that when God is creating, the word Elohim is used. That is the name of God that is used in the creation. Bereshit bara, Elohim, et hashamayim ve'etaretz. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And the reason why we use the word Elohim um, is because Elohim is the descriptive word used for God when he is in the process of, of, of creating, or rather he is in the process of hiding behind the veil of nature. When you look at the world and you see the natural cycles of the world taking place, you look at the natural beauty of the world, you look at anything that we take for granted as being beautiful, as being natural, we're looking at the expressive, uh, the expressive context of God in the name Elohim. In fact, Elohim has the same gematria, has the same numerical value as the word teva, nature. So whenever we see Elohim, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim v'ta'aretz, in the beginning God created God created heaven and earth. He's talking about God veiling Himself, hiding Himself within the, the within the world and manifesting Himself through nature. But Elohim also has another um, a, a, another connotation. When we read about Elohim. We know that God is in a state of judgment, in a state of um, severity, in a state of strictness, in a state of truth of that's what, what has to be, has to be. Um, and we know that um, that is a very, very difficult uh, position for us as human beings because if God had to treat us in that manner – we would never be able to survive. So if you look very carefully at the verse again, on the day that, and it's translated in English as the Lord God um, made 
earth and heaven. Now, here you have the introduction of Hashem's other name, a famous name, the yud Hey vav Hey, which is the, the, the tetramagon. We use it when we make blessings. It has a, a numerical value of 26, and it is representative of God when he is in a state of mercy. And uh, the rabbis come to teach us that, in fact, um, why is God's name now appearing as both Hashem and Elohim, as both the God of mercy, the God of revelation, the God of kindness, and then at the same time, the God of strictness, the God of judgment. And the rabbis come to teach that you needed God's greatness. God had to demonstrate his greatness and to show that he had the power to bring the world into existence and to create all the many types of things um, that, that we see. However, once God did create the world and he did look back at it, he had to then change into a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God of, of, of kindness, simply because he created us fallible. Us being fallible means that we're prone to sin. We're prone to not listening to God. We're prone to turning our backs away from the truth of the Torah. And if we would only be able to function in a state of Elohim, in a state of Gevura, in a state of strictness and of judgeness and severity, we wouldn't survive. So here for the first time, you see that God brings in his midah, his attribute of kindness, of mercy, of saying to everybody, listen, I know that I've created the world. I come with a tremendous force. I come with a tremendous power because I am. I am God. I am powerful. But at the same time, I will deal and teach um, the world with the Yudke Vavke, with the hand of mercy. That's another concept. And finally, Believe it or not, we're still on the same verse. Listen to this part. I'm going to read the verse again. These are the chronicles of heaven and earth when they were created. On the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Here's another switch. In the first part of the verse, we go, these are the chronicles of Shamaim Va'aretz, heaven and earth. And then at the end, when God makes it, Biyom Asot Hashem Elokim, Eretz V'Shamayim. It says earth and then heaven. So very interestingly, um, in the beginning also, when God created, Bereshit Bara Elokim Et HaShamayim V'Aretz, heaven is mentioned before earth. Um, but now suddenly we talk about the fact that earth is mentioned before heaven. And very quickly, on this note, the swap from heaven and earth to earth and heaven is as follows. It comes to teach us that even though a good Jew is merely flesh and blood, he is still more precious in the sight of God than the angel, angels in heaven. So when the heaven and earth were initially created, heaven was more important, and therefore it was mentioned first. But after Adam was created, the earth became more important, and it's mentioned first. And now we have the concept that the earth is more superior to heaven 
um, than the earth, than the heavens where the angels dwell. Isn't that just pretty amazing? You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Indeed, we are, and we've just uh, finished one verse, verse 4 of chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. Tremendous amount to learn, and as I said, I just scratched the, the top. There is much, much to be said. But I'm going to take one more verse in our stride, so at least we can get somewhere sometime. And this is verse 5 of chapter 2 that reads as follows. The Chosiach HaSadeh Terem Yiyeh Ba'aretz all the shrubs of the fields were not yet on earth. And all the grass of the field had not yet sprouted. Because Hashem, the Lord God, had not brought rain upon the earth. And there was no man to work the garden. So now we're going back in time. This is going, taking a step back, back into the, the story of creation where we explained already on the third day that God commanded the yield, the earth, sorry, to yield all sorts of trees and vegetations. But what we actually learned there and the storyline is picking up it now is that the trees and the plants did not emerge completely on the third day. They remained in the ground until the sixth day. Okay, um, why didn't they come out from uh, out of the ground? Because God had not brought rain. And without rain, we know the ground doesn't have the power to produce vegetation. Why had God, God not brought rain? Because man had to pray for it. Now, here's the very interesting idea. And I think it's something very pertinent, particularly to us South Africans, we are we're dealing, particularly in the Western Cape, with a drought. Okay, the ra rain hasn't come. Um, and one needs to ask the question, is the lack of rain because of climatic effect? Is the, is the lack of rain because our government doesn't have the ability to maintain its infrastructure and collect rain in, in, in a good way? What is the story? What is the Jewish view of rain? So we're taught that rain, in fact, is a, is a blessing. It's a blessing that is brought to the world in the merit of the righteous. And when rain is withheld, our rabbis tell us it's because of the sin of pride, the sin of us thinking that we are just bigger than anything and everybody else. Um, Lack of rain is a sign that we are sinning, and sinning means that there's, we, 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 do not, we are not worthy of our prayers being answered. Um, and there's a tremendous amount that we see in our Siddur, particularly in our prayer book, where we pray for rain every single day. We know that because rain brings so much benefits, in fact, it sustains civilization um, and humanity, we know here are some of the ways that we pray for rain. We know that in the Musaf service of the Shemini Atzeret, we began adding to the Amidah, Mashiv Haruach or Morid Hagashem. He makes the wind blow and he makes the rain fall. And we toggle between that, 
that we are very cognizant that we need rain, not just rain anytime, but we need rain in the right seasons to allow things to grow. We also say in the ninth blessing of the Amida, the Baruch Aleinu, that starts with the word bless for us, we say, V'tental umatar livracha, grant dew and rain as a blessing. We know that it is important that, we, again, we have the correct moisture that, um, that we need in order for things to grow. Um, very interestingly, when rain comes, um, and this is particularly something in particular to Johannesburg or, to, or rather to the Highfield over here, where when rain comes for us, there's thunder and there is lightning. When the sky is cloudy and one hears thunder or sees lightning, we actually make a blessing. We say, Baruch Hashem Olam, that your strength and your power fill the world. Um, we're also taught, interestingly, that if a person owns a field in partnership with another Jew and they are unhappy because of the lack of rain, when they get, a, when they see rain, they also add in the verse, um, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you, a God, our Lord, King of this universe, Hatov Vehametiv, who is good and who does good. If you own the land yourself, our rabbis hold, you should be making the blessing Shechiano. We're told as well in our, our scriptures that if one sees the Nile when its waters are low and then sees it again during its flood season, you should say the Shechianu. Why? Because the Nile, we know, provides irrigation and so does rain. So what we see over here is that rain isn't something that comes naturally and that comes easily. If there is no merit, there is no rain. And for this reason, that's why the Torah says in our verse, God has not brought rain upon the earth and there was no man to work the ground. We can't say that there was no rain because there was no man to plow or sow, because when the plants grew the first time, it was through God's command. What it's meaning and saying is that there was no man to feel the need and, the, and to, to pray for rain. And um, until there is such prayer, God doesn't send Rain. So this is a very, very interesting um, concept um, in Torah and something that we should, as perhaps South Africans, think about when we are faced with a drought, when we are faced with the, the, the lack of water, um, water being the source of life um, on a spiritual sense. That is, that is cognizant to us being a source of goodness, of kindness, of, of giving to, to others. And once we act in, so to speak, a sinful way, we turn away from these concepts. We think that we are greater than nature itself that was created by God. Then nature, just by one simple turnaround, can stop the fountain of life and stop us growing, um, in the way that, that, that we should. So this is a, a, a very profound lesson and a lesson I would like to leave with you today, just simply from two verses. I think the most profound that we learned is that this world does have a purpose. This world was created for man. Um, once everything was in place, earth, in fact, was more important than heaven. And what is, in fact, our, our purpose? on this planet, but to be a source of goodness, of kindness, and of selflessness to another. And with that blessing, I wish each and every single one of you a wonderful week.